Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. Today's episode comes from a listener to the show who wrote to me uh, probably several months ago. I mean, it's like time is kind of blown up here by COVID um, asking if I had any resources for men who'd been abused by her mothers. And then he had told me in the body of his email that he was really having a lot of difficulty finding anything out there, um, researching on his own. And, you know, to be honest, when I read the email, I thought, seriously, like there's nothing out there on the topic. And so I started to do my own digging around and found out that this is something that is barely touched on. Um, so of course I'm curious, like what are the whys? Why is it this something that this isn't got a lot of subject matter on it? But I also know that it seems a bit ridiculous to think that it's not happening out there, that there aren't cases, obviously, like this man who wrote me of being of, uh, you know, incest between a mother and a son. And that there's this whole segment then as a result of our society who is uh, has little resources available to them to be able to sort out uh, what to do, how to do, um, how to heal and, and move on with that. And so, of course, as you know, being activity girl here, this was something that, you know, I felt like, well, definitely needed to, to attack and address. So in the course of my research, I actually came across today's guest, Dr. Joe Court. And Joe is a Detroit area-based psychotherapist, life coach, author, and also a podcaster who specializes in tackling the taboo as well as the norms about our sexual health. And so welcome to the show today, Joe. Thanks for having me. And thanks for having me on such an important topic and limited topic where, like you said, it's sparse out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's mind blowing, but yet, as I think, as you and I are going to talk about today, you know, it also makes sense. There's so many parts of our society and culture that makes certain things off limits. And we, as the citizens in these societies and then cultures promote it, you know, by not even realizing that we're doing it sometimes yes. through our language and our discussion and how we treat other people. And so being able to unravel this, I think will be, um, will be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, I'm always curious. And so I want to start this off here is, uh, you know, my guests that I've talked to on the show before that uh, choose to dive into at some point in their careers into this, a specialty area that would be, you know, I'm air quoting this socially off limits, like for example, sex. Um, what, what, pointed you in that direction? What's your story and how you came to be the, the specialist that you are today? Well, I started out, so I uh, originally was in therapy as an adolescent. I actually went to this guy, his name was Stephen Advocate. We actually are still in contact with one another. He's in his 80s, I'm in my 50s. And I used to go to him twice a week um, in Michigan weather. So it was like snow, back and forth. I know it sounds crazy, but I was determined to get myself um, help around my uh, being gay. So I did that for three and a half years. And I remember thinking, sitting across from him, I want to do this. I want to help people. I just want to help people. 
But then when I got into the field, I saw a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, a lot of um, you know sexual acting out behaviors. So I became more uh, around the uh, trauma and um, sexual problems and disorders. And then over time, I became uh, aware that I didn't have sexual training in how to help someone beyond the trauma. It, the old way to think was, if trauma is resolved, healthy sexuality will surface. And that's not how that works. You have to help somebody discover. Uh, and we don't even say healthy sexuality anymore. We say sexual health. So I became a sex therapist in addition to a therapist to help people with that. No, oh, that's really great. Now, so I, I'm curious about then your, your backstory. I know that from your practice that you have, you actually do work with a lot of individuals that are, um, you know, either transitioning, um, identifying, you know, kind of uh, figuring out what to do. Uh, you know, I'm impressed to hear that as an adolescent, you were going through therapy. Was that something you chose to do on your own? Is that something that your family supported you with doing? How did you, at, uh, you know, because again, we're in our 40s and 50s here. Let's go back in time. That would have been an outrageous thought, <laughs> you know, to sit there and think about trying to, um, to, to kind of resolve that emotionally for yourself. Like, how did you, you know, where did that come from? How did that start and begin for you on that path? Well, you know, surprisingly, my mother was not a good mother, and, uh, they, but she did do some good things. And one thing she did was see that I was getting more depressed and isolated. And I don't know if somebody told her to or not, but she's the one who said, you're going to go to a therapist. And I remember being relieved and excited about it because I was so neglected and so lost and struggling with my homosexuality that uh, it was uh, a great, and it was a great match from the beginning with this guy. So it worked out nice. Oh, that's really good. Now... We're going to talk about this topic today because, like you said, it is a very important thing. And, um, you know, have you seen this lack of information as well? And have you asked, like, what's going on here when it comes to this mother-son, you know, abuse situation? You know, what do you think and what do your colleagues think is, is happening out there? Well, I've been doing this since the 80s, right? I became a therapist in 1985, 86. And um, I remember sexual abuse was a big hot topic, but it was mostly uh, to women and not towards men. And when it was toward women, it was father-son, because there is mother-daughter, uh, I'm sorry, father-daughter incest. But there is mother-daughter incest too, and nobody was talking about it. I was getting clients in most, more and more of uh, men who were sexually abused by their mothers. And um, nobody wants to talk bad about mom. You know, when we think of mom, I, I, um, when I wrote, I, I have a chapter that I'm gonna turn into a, um, a little book, and I wrote this, I think I'm, uh, on Psychology Today, I wrote an article called Mommy Nearest. And um, in, the, in my chapter, I started out with this little boy is uh, burned 90% over his body, he's in the hospital, and he's screaming for his mother to help him and to care for him. And it's his mother who burned him. So this is how hardwired we are in our brain to protect our mother and to negate the bad things she's doing and, and uh, overlook her. So I think that's what our culture does. Hmm. And does that, um, does that make it where even the therapist and the therapeutic, you know, community, have they promoted this as well when people come to them? I, I guess what I'm asking the question is that when somebody comes to you, not you necessarily, but to a therapist and they're like, listen, I, I really have some issues here. I, like, I feel like maybe this has been inappropriate. What's been going on? I'm confused as to what's going on. You know, have, has there been all this also a mindset within the therapeutic community before to dismiss and downplay some of the interactions? Um, and I wouldn't say devalue, but maybe devalue is the is a word to use of saying like, well, maybe you misinterpreted it or that's not what it really was or, you know, anything like that. 
I think that does exist. I think more is that it's naivete, it's not a lack of education, and these guys are not coming in saying, I think my mom was inappropriate with me. You have to dig for it because the ways in which mothers abuse their children uh, sexually, particularly their sons, is under the guise of caring for, bathing, wiping, um, you know, the things that mothers would normally be doing, but it's, it's got an a, um, element of, I'm also taking advantage and exploiting you. And we could talk about some of those examples. And I don't think therapists know how to dig for that. So in my trainings, I try to help them ask the right questions because usually the men are like, no, that's not abuse because it doesn't feel or, or look like abuse to them. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, and you bring up something here that then is really interesting because, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is that a man isn't going to just one day, unless it was like overt abuse, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that distinction in there between that and the covert abuse that you're alluding to. But that it sounds like what you're saying is that it's rare that a man will have had the overt abuse. And I know that statistically can probably be proven to be false, but I'll just say this, that they're going to come in because there's something else going on that's uh, infecting their, their sexual health. Is it their sexual health? I mean, do these, do those things like directly link to each other or do they come in because something else is, feels a foul in their life? You know, what is the first inklings that you begin to see in somebody that as you kind of then backtrack through them, you, you find out that there was this abuse, you know, um, happening in their background? Uh, often it's through the sexual uh, behaviors, right? So something's happening um, that is uncomfortable for them, goes against their values. Uh, they're ashamed about whatever it is that they're fantasizing about or wanting to do. And it often has uh, threads back to the, to the abuse. Um, and then sometimes it's, be, it's the relationship with their partner and gender is not an issue. You know, we always think if you're having an issue, if you're a woman and you have issues with your father, then it'll happen in your relationship with men. And gender is not the issue. It's the, par the parent that you had the harder time with, that the unresolved material. So it could be anything. But so in, in relationship, it can show up where, um, you know, they're breaking agreements, like mom broke her agreement to protect her son, you know, secretiveness. There's, there's um, things they're doing in and often I would say that more men, even today in 2020, they're not coming in on their own. You know, the more women come in on their own, more women read self-help books. So it's usually because he's been caught in some negative behavior or his partner has said, I'm not doing this anymore, whatever is happening. So he's, he's sort of coerced in some, in some ways. Mm, instead of getting drug in. <laughs> so, yeah. so the, the listener then that's reaching out to me and asking for help is really on the rare end of the spectrum, right? My, from my experience, yes. And I commend him for this. In fact, I commend anybody who talks about this. You doing this podcast. I was recently, uh, two years ago, invited by Dan Savage, mm -hmm. uh, who got an invite by a woman who was upset because her boyfriend enjoyed the incest with his mother, which is often the case with these guys. And she couldn't come to terms with that, and he didn't know what to do. So he came to me and said, how do, you, how do we handle this? Mm -hmm. um, and Oprah didn't address it for all her 25 years until her final two years. And it was like a segment in, a, in one of her 45 minute, you know, TV shows. And I was like, how could Oprah not be addressing it? But even Oprah would be protective of mom. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, and I guess that's, you know, and so I have this whole show, One Broken Mom, <laughs> which is about the, I, I, you know, I guess saying this as the, the term, the, you know, as a sacred cow, right? Like mothers. And, you know, the root of a lot of trauma in, in, in any culture, 
can be traced back to that that primal caregiver child relationship, which, um, you know, biologically speaking, you know, the body with the uterus and the vagina is the kind of the first, you know, relationship there. And, um, and so, you know, it is interesting that, uh, you know, part of this feels like it's culture, but I mean, how much of this is actually also this biological connection because of that, you know, that the, the bond between the, the, the birther and the child there that you're, you are wired, you know, not just because society tells you to protect mom, but maybe there is something in there that's actually like, well, that's actually, that connection has to be there. That's how that baby survives. That interaction between the two is how the, you know, the, the neurobiology develops in it, um, which makes this in really a, a really troubling topic because, you know, part of it is, is we can change culture and dialogue. We can talk about it more, but then there's some, there seems to be something else in there that we're, we may be fighting against. Do you think that that could be the case too? I do. I, and I feel like I should know more about that. And I am going to delve into this topic more. I may even write a book about it because there's only one book. Think about this. There's only one book on there and uh, it's, she doesn't get, isn't able to keep it in print. Her name is Hani Maletsky and it's called, oh, I just pulled it up. So I wanted to make sure I said Mother-son incest, the unthinkable broken taboo persists. Um, and she does keep it updated, but nobody wants to buy it. And so, but I, I do think it's important to understand the neurological and biological and the wiring that happens. Because usually, I mean, this is changing, but usually it's mom who's the mm-hmm. nurturer, the caretaker. And she's giving most of her attention to that infant that first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you have worked with men who have been... Um, victims of uh, incest and abuse by their their mothers in there. What do you know about the ages when this, when this happens? I mean, uh, you know, are they, does it happen when they're young? Does it begin when they become adolescent teenagers and they begin to develop sexually? Uh, You know, what do you know about the spectrum, you know, that may be in there in terms of victims and ages and stuff like that? You know, I don't know that I can make a generalization. I know, uh, and I think about just the guys that have come to me in my practice, it, it does start young. It's like a grooming, right? Um, and like, like, like men do, the grooming. And, it, and, and I don't know, oftentimes, I don't know if the mother even knows what she's doing. It's not like, I'm going to take this little boy and he's going to be my little man. And, but that's the spirit of it. So he's sleeping in bed with her way longer than he should be, up until 13, 14 years old. You know, washing him, bathing him, uh, going into the shower, uh, into the bathroom when he's in there, not having him shut the door, commenting on his genitals. This could be all happening very young. And so it becomes normal to him. And then, it, then what happens in the therapy room is the client will say, well, you know, one time my mother did this as in passing. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. you know and for him it's like what do you mean like that's just normal you know yeah so if 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 there is this uh you you mentioned something i want to go back to that which is mom doesn't always know that that's what she's doing there um do you think that there's a difference between mother abusers and father abusers that there's a there's a disconnect because i have spoken about you know, and now we're, we're getting into this really like, you know, I, I call it like the landmine zone between we've talked about on this show about how sometimes there's not enough mothering of our sons. Like there, this emotional, this key emotional development that are, you know, our men and boys need 
because again, there's this cultural aspect of don't coddle your sons, don't overprotect them. And then you've got the Oedipus issues, right? Like the whole, uh, you know, don't go too far. So then there's this aversion to having closeness, you know, and even things like hugging sons, because we don't want to uh, do whatever, you know, in the case, we don't want to drift into this danger zone that we're talking about today. Um, and then there's the, uh, and then, and then we're talking about the uh, covert abuse, which is, you know, right in, like I said, that danger zone to then normal in, you know, in healthy or uh, healthier forms of contact. And that's age appropriate in there. Do, do women think, you know, let's, if we were to unpack the, the moms here, you said that they're not aware that they're doing that. So they think that what they're doing is the healthy versions of mother, being a mother. mothering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. It, yeah. And, and like, and I guess, you know, men, you know, again, I, I know it's dangerous to generalize. Like I, I yeah. get that. So then I, and I say that on there. So we're just trying to come up with examples and stuff like yeah. that. But men, when they're grooming, they're not thinking that I'm just trying to be a good dad here <laughs> when they're, when they're setting up to abuse their, their children. Right. So there is a different. Yeah. For men, it's more overt. There's an understanding that I have some sexual needs that this little girl is going to meet for me. That is not what I see in the moms. The moms are, are cut off from all of that and they see it as mothering, but it, but they're getting their, their needs met um, from that little boy. And I've had mothers say, this is my little man. You're now the man of the house. Um, and, you know, that can be exciting to a little boy whose father's distant or gone or um, he's closer to the mother. I want to go back to what you said because it's, it's true. We stop touching little boys earlier than we stop touching little girls. And we teach little boys to stop touching each other and to reject all things that are what we call in our culture feminine. Feelings, emotions, naming. People forget this. And then the little boy grows up into a man, has no access to feelings, touches all sexualized, and we shame him instead of remembering, wait a minute, you know, so when, they, when he's that little boy and he's not being touched, and now his mother's touching him, it can feel really good. It's a longing to be touched. Mm-hmm. So that, it can feel normal to him. Yeah. Now, so then, so then this gets us into the, um, this covert abuse, you know, when does it go from what we want in terms of being able to transfer what emotions and feelings and healthy contact is onto our children? And then it kind of slides over into that zone of where then it becomes something that is problematic and has a long-term damaging, unhealthy, you know, aspect onto this, um, this boy's life. You know, what are the distinctions between those things? Uh, the distinction between covert going to overt is that what you mean? Going from healthy contact to into that that covert abuse. Like, what does the covert abuse really look like? So the men that have t- come to me have said things like, um, and I've, I'm telling you, uh, a lot of men have said this to me who don't know each other because I see people all over the world. Right? Uh, they'll say, "My mother wanted to um, sh- me to show her my erect penis as I came into my teenage years to make sure that it was growing properly." And I'll say to them, that's not a maternal instinct thing to do. Uh, You wouldn't even go to the doctor and the doctor wouldn't tell you to get an erect penis. Your mother wanted to see, but see, it's, it's under the guise of, I want to check and make sure you're healthy or talking about his, you know, your dad was always small. I hope you're going to be bigger. Uh, You look like you're bigger than your dad. I've had guys tell me the mother grabs the crotch and says, oh yeah, God, that's a great, that's you're, you're doing well here, you know? Um, And if the boy were to confront her and say, mom, what are you doing? She's startled. What do you mean, what am I doing? Why would you even think? So now she's the victim 
and oppresses her son from the victim position. How could you even think that I would be meaning anything other than wanting to be your mother around this? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, wet kisses, pressing her breasts against him when she hugs him. He, he, well, he'll report walking away feeling icky, like not knowing really why, because he's in denial that his mother has done something. And what my clients will say is, I, how did I make her do this? Because that's a narcissistic child, right? Children are narcissistic, and they think that everything that happens to them is because they made it happen. And she starts this early, washing his genitals longer than it should be. The whole idea, like I've already said, taking baths with him, with him much later than she should be. Um, and some people would say, well, wait a minute. There's healthy nudity. There's healthy sexuality that goes on in families. But it's the intention isn't really that. The intention is I want to. I want a closeness with my son that's inappropriate between a mother and son. That's really what fucks him up. Yeah, no, no kidding. So are in these families and stuff are, you know, is the dad an absent figure? You know, is mom using, because we've also talked about, you know, on you know some of the shows here about this emotional incest, you know, of where you're, um, an enmeshment has been a topic, um, you know, where there's an emotional enmeshment and, and becoming too connected. And so it sounds like this is what we've got going on, although it just starts to gravitate into this physical contact. Is this a, is this like a single parent situation? You know, is there a, not always be. interesting. Nope. And, and that emotional incest, um, emotional closeness and enmeshment can be emotional incest. And we were talking about that in the eighties, then it all stopped. And I think it stopped because of the trauma myth the whole idea that there was a book called The Trauma Myth and people were, therapists were co- uh, almost forcing their clients to admit they were abused when they weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I remember all that going on around us and I think people got scared, but it doesn't mean it's not true. And that emotional closeness leaning on him, sometimes it's because dad's working, dad, or dad's in denial. We, we know sexually abused, uh, sexual abuse in families, people go into denial and when the person finally discloses, they're the black sheep. I read a really good meme the other day. It said, if you want to know the truth about any family, talk to the black sheep. They contain all the truths. And it's true. It is. It is true. We, uh, the scapegoat, right? The truth teller yes. in the family yes. and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that's interesting that you brought up the whole, like, you know, repressed, the repressed traumas or the repressed abuse, you know, movement that really kind of like, I think frightened a lot of people into thinking that, you know, every, every weird thing going through our head must be a sign that we were abused. And, you know, and you talk about this manifesting in fantasies, you know, for some of these, um, these men, whatever they, they might be. Um, it got me thinking like, well, so then does that mean, this is just a generic question out there. Does that mean that every, fantasy that doesn't fit a norm. I'm air quoting the word norm in there. Um, does that mean that that is, you know, there's some symbology in there that it's a, it's a repression of, you know, maybe something in a trauma, because I know that, you know, we don't remember everything, right? Because sometimes it's not just, it's not like a moment. It's not like a big thing that happened to us. It's the subtleties of all the small things that add up to it. Um, and so for anybody that's listening, thinking, wow, I've got some of these fantasies that I like playing out in the bedroom with my partner here. Does that mean that something happened to me, you know, that maybe I, I need to get curious about? Well, this is what I love about being a sex therapist. I now know, research shows this, there's plenty of material that I could refer people to to read, that most of what happens to us in ch- as children, whether it's trauma, abuse, normal, whatever it is, threads of that get um, embedded in our erotic template. So we all can look at, um, Esther Perel, a famous psychotherapist, says, tell me how you make love, and I'll tell you how you were loved as a child. Mm -hmm. 
And so we all have that. But our, our biases, if it's not the norm, like you say, whatever the bias of the therapist or the culture is, then something must have happened to you. Something has happened to all of us in different ways. So there's nothing more or less in this. But I will tell you that the men that come to me that are most troubled are sexualizing mother-son incest. Like if you look up mother-son incest and you want to find literature, you get Hani Maletsky's book and then you get thousands of porn sites. This is... <laughs> Right? It, incest is one of the top, it may be the top, uh, because people have eroticized things in their family. And there's nothing wrong with the fantasy, but people feel very ashamed of it, especially mm -hmm. when it's um, actually happened to them. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring that up about the, uh, about the porn. Like if you were to look then, I mean, I, I, you know, I wonder out loud, I do this quite often because, you know, there's a microphone and I get to do that. And sometimes there's, a, there's a, an interesting rabbit hole down there. If you look at the how much of it there is out there in porn, the mother-son incest, is that a glimpse into maybe how often it actually does happen out there and that there's no ways or outlets of actually addressing it except through the fantasy yes. world? Oh, that is awesome. I completely agree, 100%. That, that is true. Yeah. Right, because no one's addressing it. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if this is still true today, but in the 90s, in the early 2000s, I'd have clients who would want to hire sex workers and play mommy son and they wouldn't do it. It was too upsetting to them. So that may be why there's so much porn, right? It's yeah. easier and uh, nobody's judging them. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the upsetting feeling too, like when we, the ickiness, right? Like that, that always seems like that that's that biological thing. Like we all get kind of like the shivers when we think about incest. And I talked with, um, you know, again, a woman who is a, um, has an organization where she works with, other victims of, of incest. And she was a, a father daughter, you know, victim up into her twenties. Um, and, and also like you had mentioned, ended up becoming, you know, blamed for it because of bringing it up and, and everything. And, you know, and the system failed her. And I told her that when we were talking like, man, I mean, too many adults in her life just, you know, ended up failing her in, in that way. Um, but the, but that ick feeling that we get is where that it sounds, you know, to me, it feels like that's, that's the nature part, like letting you know that, that something's not right. Like we can't procreate with our close, like our parents, we just can't do that. We'll end up with a lot of, you know, birth defects and, you know, issues. And, and so, so that signal inside, you know, I, I can imagine is really upsetting for somebody who is the victim in that case of really trying to resolve that warning bell going off with the, other part, which is, this is mom. This is like, you know, I, I can't do this. Um, right. you know, and it, it makes it like, I, I can't imagine, like I have so much, Oh, you know, this is the feel that I have for somebody that has to go through that and have to, you know, bounce that back and forth inside of their head. You know, what are you able to do with men, you know, that have had to, you know, live with that conflict for, for so many years of their life? Well, first, the very first thing is to help them understand that it is abuse because they don't see it that way. And I don't even, I'll ask if someone's been abused. That is one of my questions, but that's not where I stop because they don't see it as abuse. Uh, again, it could be male or female in my office or any gender who doesn't understand what happened to them. I'll say, did anybody cross a sexual line with you who was much older and um, you, know, you, you didn't like it? Or maybe you did like it because sometimes, I mean, on Amazon.com, if you go to Hani Maletsky's book, there's a whole discussion, this was shocking to me at the time, of men who enjoyed it and wanted it and pursued mom later in life to be sexual with her. 
Now, my understanding would be that that's the continuation of the complex trauma of what happened to that person, and he's finishing her original job. But And I would send some of this. I started talking to these guys, and they, they backlash. They're like, Joe Court, we loved it, and we wanted it, and you're pathologizing a beautiful thing. I mean, I understand that if that's your experience, I totally get it. Um, but it's not the experience, obviously, that's coming into my therapy room. They're tortured by it. So first I have to name it. It's abuse. Since it's not always trauma. Our field thinks that if you're abused, you're instantly traumatized. No. Trauma, you can be abused and never be traumatized. Um, or it could come later in life. There's a whole, we could do a whole show on that. But then I have to help them understand it's not their fault. Because they'll say, I initiated. And I'll say, even if you initiated, mom's job is to stop you and let you be five, let you be 10. And when your mother didn't do that, it was her fault, not yours. That's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially since our, our mindset, like we all know that the, you know, the base of trauma for all of us is that we, we took on all the responsibility of all the things that were going wrong in our life as children, um, which is, you know, a sadness, you know, in itself there, you know, I don't know if you, if you know this, but you know, I'm out of the Seattle area in the Pacific Northwest and we have a very famous and it's, it wasn't mother son, but the um, it was uh, Mary Kay Letourneau oh, yeah. and Billy Falau. And she just passed away just this week. Um, she had mm -hmm. cancer. Yep. She had cancer and she, she died. Mm -hmm. And that relationship began when, you know, she was in her thirties and he was 12, yes. which just blows yep. my mind. Right. And, um, but maybe there's some similarities and all that, because then afterwards they kept seeing each other and then they got married and then they had kids. And I, I imagine that when you talk about men that like enjoyed the experience and sought after the experience that instantly popped into my head because a lot of people looked at that and went, well, it's just this love. It turned into this beautiful relationship. They were just born out of time with each other. But then I'm like, but damn, he was 12, <laughs> you know, I know. I know. And, and people have a hard time and the guys have a hard time understanding this, you know, through the therapy, they start to realize, damn, I was 12. That, that is the, that where they go, I should have been protected and this shouldn't have happened to me. But, you know, in some ways, uh, Mary Kay could have been 12 herself. She could have been abused herself. We know that there's a high correlation, not causation, but correlation between being abused and then abusing a child later in life only because you don't you haven't dealt with it and you haven't worked it through it's normal to you and so i think a lot of these moms um that that that's part of it i don't know i don't have the stats here but i'll tell you what you asked me earlier when little girls are being abused by their fathers often the mothers look away it's almost sometimes she can feel relieved like oh thank god i don't have to deal with it with that guy i'm not happy with him this can also be happening in mother-son incest where the dad looks away Thank God I don't have to deal with her in that way. My son will, will take care of that. Mm, that's sad. That's really, that's troubling. Um, Very. Now, we, in our culture, you know, aside from, you know, mom being the sacred cow and, um, you know, we can't say anything or, or, or feel or think anything badly about her no matter what. Um, we have a hard time imagining that women at any point can overpower a man and can be, you know, it can actually be the perpetrator, a rapist, you know, or sexually assaulting them because we view it only as an imbalance in bodily strength. Um, and yet it does actually happen. And we still downplay it through, you know, languaging and stuff like that. But because of the fact that we can't see this is just, you know, a bigger body and a small body that therefore there must be something wrong with the man. And so we don't believe men or we shame men and we're adding to this trauma for them. 
I think what people would want to know is then, then how do women get away with it or how do they do this? How do they tip the scales and, and have an ability to assault men or even teenage boys, right? Like I, I, since we're talking about this incest, knowing that sometimes this goes on into the teenage years where, you know, my son is six foot two, you know, I mean, there is an imbalance in there. Um, so how do women do this? Like, how are they able to get the upper hand when it comes to like sexual assault and rape and, and incest? Well, so it's all done so much covertly. She's wearing cleavage, low cleavage. She's uh, wearing sheer nighties around the house. She may take off her bra and walk around the house and just say, I got to get to the bathroom. And so she's titillating him from far away. And so then for the guy to say, well, that's not right. Or, you know, why would my mom do that? She, it, it's like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, like you can't, he, she didn't touch you, you know, so it can't be um, that bad, but it, it's actually worse when she doesn't touch. Co covert, I think, and the lack of protection for that child is way worse because I, as a therapist, what I've seen is if you've been abused, if you've been penetrated, if you've been touched, therapy goes much easier because the denial is easier to crack because it happened. But if it's what didn't happen and what, um, you know, this, this hidden part, it's like sexual harassment, really hard to prove. So she gets away with it. And plus, like we said from the beginning, moms are protected. You know, how could a mother do this? And I like what you're saying, um, that, uh, the idea that people can't think of women overpowering men. This was a little boy. He was not a man, right? So we forget that. But then secondly, women can overpower men in, 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 in adulthood. And they can do it by coming from a victim position. V having a victim position is very powerful, particularly right now in our country. They're, they have the power um, in the culture. And for a lot of men who don't want to uh, be, caught, be seen as well, because when the police come on, if something's happened between the two, he's going to be the one, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, charged against, and she's going to be the victim. It's a very powerful place for her to be. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, you know, how do you then, and I'm just, this wasn't an original line of questioning, but just thinking about that, because I have actually seen this um, in a domestic situation where instantly everyone lined up with the female and I had seen the entire altercation and saw really where it initiated from. And, um, and it wasn't his fault, you know, and I had to, you know, go advocate for him because it was instantly, the line was drawn, you know, and it turned into a, her, it, like she was assumed to be the victim here and that he was the, you know, the enemy in this whole thing. Um, you know, is there a way for men to be able to bring these things forward, these assaults um, or these incidences in a way that um, ca casts less doubt on their experience and, and helps us see and believe them better? You know, we, I mean, we, and it may be a really big question here because I know we deal with this, you know, with women, you know, even bringing forward their own assaults and their own stories and us instantly having um, doubts raised, you know, we want to test the validity of it proof. We need proof, you know, for something like this, but we're talking about men that have, you know, been victimized in a covert way. How do they share a story and get some belief behind it? You know, I guess maybe that's my question. Oh, it's a great question. I don't think it's their time. You know, I think it's the Me Too movement has helped women make it their time to say, stop, this isn't going to happen. Uh, and men, it is their time if they had a male perpetrator. Now everyone gets on board with that. But mm -hmm. when it's a female perpetrator, 
um, seen women because women are in general, they are victims. They are victims of male um, bad behavior and, and uh, breaking agreements and non-consent, but not these guys. And there's not room in our culture for us to make for them. And I want to, this podcast hopefully will be that for them to give them a voice and a platform that they don't have. Yeah, exactly. Now, so do you think that there's a, a case again, generalizations, buckets, buckets are fun. Um, that it's a, it's a fact that men don't want to talk about their abuse or that people don't want to listen. Oh, I think it's both. They don't want to talk about it because they don't know how. And then they're disgusted. They have their own disgust response about it. And then people don't want to hear it again because that's about mom and hard to believe. And can't you just get over it? She didn't touch you. You know, I've had people go to their rabbis and priests or other therapists saying, well, she didn't mean it and she didn't touch you. That doesn't matter. What matters is his lived experience around with her wet lips against him, with her breasts being pushed against him, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And one thing we haven't talked about that I do see a lot of and isn't talked about in our culture, we talk about misogyny and misogyny is a really important topic because of systematic uh, oppression of women. We don't talk about misandry, the hatred of men. And some of these boys are being raised by women who hate men, who want to keep them as boys. And sometimes this is their way of keeping him a little boy. And that's it. Yeah. That's interesting. I, you know, and I hadn't even thought about that as a, as a, as a topic to this, that um, it's, it, it, when we talk about the mom who wants to make her son a man too soon, um, what you're saying is that sometimes it is about really emasculating yes. the boy it, through this. Wow. And it allows her to release her sexual energy. She wouldn't do it toward an adult male because she doesn't maybe want his, uh, she doesn't want to invite anything back to her and it's safer to do with a little boy. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have been criticized for this by um, some feminist groups who see me as being mis- misogynist just by saying this. And I'm telling you, it's just, I'm, it's fucking bullshit. I'm going to say it right now. It's not, I'm not uh, uh, anti-feminist, but there are women that do this and we need to be able to say it without me being accused of being a perpetrator for saying that, you know? Right. Yeah, no. And I agree with that. I mean, I think that you're, I think again, it's the, when we, when we feel really strongly and divisive about this and we can't have this, you know, wonderfully complex conversation about it, we are really kind of like, we're blocking ourselves off from something else, right? Like, you know, the inability to, to recognize that, yes, that there are women that do hate men. I, I agree with that. Um, And, you know, and it's not, you know, and I will say this, um, sometimes lesbians have been called man haters, which I think is completely unfair and and inappropriate. Right. Right, right. But that's, that's where it gets used. Like, obviously you must hate men because you love women. Like, no, (laughs) that's not it at all. Um, So to, to sit there and, and imagine that I can totally see that, you know, I can see a lot of, and, 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 but you have to have some heart, I think when you talk about this, just like when you have to look at men, cause I've, you know, I've looked at misogyny as well. And it, you know, when you go back to through the histories, again, it's always going back through the histories. Like, what do I need to know about where this person who's standing in front of me is? How did they arrive at where they are today? And you have to go see what their journey is like. And even misogyny is rooted in pain and suffering and, um, you know, a, a, a conflicted relationships again with their mothers. 
um, learning, you know, that women can't be relied on or learning, you know, from, uh, from a religious standpoint that they have to be pure and perfect. And when they're not, they're dirty. And I, you know, I've talked about, you know, even that women are misogynistic because of the, you know, some yes. of the same things that they've learned in there. So the, 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 you know, yin and yang, right. If we can do that, we can also do the other thing. We can have this culture, um, and people socialized to believe that men. And, and I think right now there is a danger of that messaging because of this, you know, death to the patriarchy, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is there's some, there is some elements of, of dismantling the imbalance that's out there, but there may be a point at which you tip it too far, of yeah. course. And a lot of men, I think, do feel attacked right now um, in this world. Me Too has, you know, lended it. And I've, you know, shared my own Me Too story. So this isn't anti-Me Too. But there is this silent majority that truly sits in the middle of men that are just like, I don't, I don't know where I belong and I don't know what's safe anymore and how to be able to say that. And I can imagine with men that may be listening to this who've been victims of abuse, you know, at the hands of their mom, there's a fear of coming up because it's like you're trying to dismantle someone else's cause right? Like if I share my story of abuse, it means I'm trying to devalue your story of abuse and not that what we want is we want everybody to be able to feel safe coming forward, that it isn't mine's worse than yours or yours isn't as important or, you know, this tit for tat that we kind of get ourselves in, right? We only talk about male sexuality in terms of when they're in trouble, when they have victimized somebody else, when they've done something non-consensual, and we don't talk about it when they've been victims themselves. I remember Oprah did a two-part show on male survivors of sexual abuse, and it was, if you watch it, it's on YouTube, parts of it where the men are holding their pictures up as little boys, and, and Japan, the, the um, camera pans the whole audience. It's very emotional to watch this, because and it took her 23 years to have a show like that. And, um, and then it just all goes away. And then the Michael Jackson thing comes up. So then here it is again. And then it all just goes away. And um, men are, have a hard time talking about this and keeping the conversation going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and we can think of, you know, hotbed topics that have happened, which is, you know, priests and boys, you know, yeah. um, we can think Rabbis about. Too. Rabbis Yeah. Um, and the uh, Penn State, you know, debacle um, in that coming forward. I mean, so we know it's out there and we know it's men on men on boys an awful lot. Um, but again, what we're talking about today is the, the even less likely discussion, which is, you know, the, the moms and the sons. Um, what resources are there then for men? Because like many other traumas, you know, usually we start our journey alone. And we, we look and we search, right? Are there other people out there? Are there other things I can grab onto? Because, you know, going straight to therapy isn't really the, the comfort level. People, we have to build our bravery and our courage usually before we get to that place. And so with a lack of a ramp out here for this, what is there out there for anybody that's listening to this as a, a place to start to explore this before they go and make a call to somebody like you or, you know, or anybody else that can help them, you know, through a therapeutic process? Uh, well, the best place to go, in my opinion, is malesurvivors.org uh, because they have like not only weekend workshops so that they can go and deal with it with any, with any abuse, whomever has abused them, but they also have uh, postings that you can have conversations and dialogues and communities in there. And um, so that's really a wonderful place to go that I'm, uh, I have my clients go to that. You can do it anonymously and, you know, read and listen and does anything apply? Maybe your denial will break down. Maybe you'll get a bonding. You'll have a sense of belonging that I'm not alone. Um, there are books. Howard Fratkin is a great, um, he wrote a book called Joining Forces, which was featured on Oprah. Um, and in that book, he does have some examples of mothers who abuse, but it's still 
real lightweight stuff. So there's more for males who've been abused, less for males who've been abused by mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's sad. But I, like I said, I think that it's untouched, but it's not because it doesn't exist out there. And I, you know, and I, I suppose that would be the thing that, um, it's easy for us to overlook it because, it, you know, we kind of look like we look for the evidence. Well, the evidence is there's no book. So obviously it's not happening. Right. But what we're talking about today is that's not true. Just because there's a lack of resources today doesn't mean that it's not happening. What do you think needs to change then, you know, in order for it to come forward like this and to be able to get the community talking about it and providing these resources and, and support to these men? I think it needs to go from covert to overt. So like even the conversations, right? Even the dialogues are covert. They're being whispered. They're being talked about in private therapy rooms uh, and, and not enough. It needs to come out, you know, like, and be more visible and stay visible. And so, um, I mean, I really acknowledge Hani Maletsky for writing that book um, and keeping it out there as much as she can. But I think that these men need to talk and express their voices. I think sometimes they're just too scared because they're afraid they don't want to hurt their mothers. Even though it was abuse, even though now they're in their adult years, they don't want to hurt their moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought of just something right now, too, because, um, you know, handling it when we're adults is great. You know, um, it, we're handling it, right? We're taking care of it. But, you know, I'm a mother of a teenage son, and I, you know, I wonder is there, you know, are there interventions and the possibilities for interventions for, for boys when they're being abused? Like that, it seems to me, like if you want to talk about really starting this is, is being able to, to be able to raise some awareness with the, with the child, you know, and maybe it's at, at the teenage years. I mean, I haven't solved this problem. I'm not attempting to do it, but I'm just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking it questions out loud. Like, how would you, think about when a teenage boy is having these feelings how do you get that information to them to be aware that maybe what they're feeling and happening right now isn't okay you know so i might sit, share with my clients it's okay if you feel icky uh maybe your mom's doing nothing maybe she's doing something but it's okay to have boundaries you know i don't want to be touched right now no i'd rather not be hugged you know i'm i'm not i'm not that in that place right now to uh, come to bed with you anymore i'd like to you know have my own bedroom now, I always anticipate the mother could get really angry. Why not? What's wrong? What are you accusing? You know, what's happening? And you can let, and this is hard, but you can let her have her feelings and you can still have your boundaries. You know, the new thing today is telling kids, um, you know, we force, you know, kiss your grandma, kiss grand, uncle so-and-so. It, you know, he, it's a good thing. But, and the kid doesn't want to. We're starting to say to parents and these kids, if they don't want to kiss uncle so-so or aunt so-so, they shouldn't have to do that. They have, this is their body and their right. So that's what I do is really empower them in their bodies and in their own rights. Mm -hmm. That's great. Cool. Well, Joe, this has been a great conversation. I really do appreciate finding you out there and, and us discussing this. Um, you know, I'm hoping that the, my listener is able to, um, to find something here for, for himself and his story. And I'm hoping that other people that have, um, have been more probably afraid to say something, or I guess maybe, like we talked in the conflict inside, like, I'm not sure something doesn't feel right. And I'm wondering where this is coming from. Um, yes. It sounds like this may be something that happens more often with men is this uncertainty, uh, you know, in this, in the question mark around whether it was abusive or not. And, and, and saying that like, it's okay to explore that. Um, you know, it, uh, it is tough, 
you know, to sit there, I mean, you know, speaking from experience to sit there and go, listen, I, I have some things that I have to sort out here. I can't change the lived experience, like you said. And that's a part of what we talk about here is that, you know, you're not talking about um, blaming, pointing fingers like that doesn't heal. No. You no. know, and, and also, you know, I had a guest we talked about it, also them just saying sorry or I didn't mean it doesn't make it go away. No. You know, something right. happened. That's what we're talking about doing. Um, you know, is there a way, I guess my last question would be, is there a way that, um, a man can still love his mom and still, still heal from the trauma that he's gone through? Absolutely. The ideal is for her to claim it and say, I did do that. I'm so sorry. I'll get some help. And that that's ideal, but you're not going to always get that. Most of you probably won't get that, but absolutely. This isn't about hating your mother or breaking off with, if that ends up happening, that's, your journey and I'll support that but that's not my intention for you my intention for you is to love your mother if that's what you feel and to also hold this I mean this is what's hard to do differentiation I love her she's got a lot of good parts she raised me and she did this horrible thing to me that's affected my life both can exist absolutely yeah good cool well hopefully that'll help with somebody making that first step forward right? Yes, like it, right. the cut, the cutoff is hard. The idea that the, you know, to do one means you can't have the other in there. And right. I think that that's also what inhibits people in coming forward with their journeys and that's their stories. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Um, this has been fantastic. This conversation went fast, especially for, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning for me here. So. <laughs> <laughs> so much information here, Amy, and I really appreciate you finding this and um, helping bring it out and letting me be a part of that because it, to me, it's really important. It's about men's work and um, there's not enough men's work happening out there. Yep. Agree. I totally agree. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiracone.com and there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kirkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.